You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Right now, circling the Earth about 250 miles up is one of humanity's greatest technological achievements. The International Space Station is basically our laboratory in space for studying how space might help humanity here on Earth, but also how humanity might travel even deeper into space. That's Rico's Rebecca Heilweil. And for two decades now, astronauts from countries all over the globe have been living aboard the ISS, working on all kinds of cutting-edge research. One of the key things we use the ISS for is to study technologies we could use like oxygen and watering recycling systems. We also use the ISS to study how well the human body like functions in space. So how well do they handle radiation and do we handle muscle and bone loss? And these are sort of questions we need to answer if we want to go deeper into space sometime in the future. And we do. We want to keep exploring. But soon, NASA and other space agencies are going to have to find some new rendezvous spots in orbit. Because in the next few years, the ISS is due to retire, and there's no plan for NASA to build a new one. NASA's sort of thinking, hey, instead of us building a replacement for billions and billions of dollars, what if we got private companies to do that instead? So now NASA's big plan is to give a little bit of seed funding to different ideas for private companies who can run space stations on their own. And NASA is basically just going to rent space from them and save up to like a billion dollars a year. Before we get more into the retirement of the ISS, Let's talk for a minute about its creation and what NASA has been doing with the space station for all these years. So the plans for the ISS really kicked off in the 1980s. America has always been greatest when we dared to be great. We can reach for greatness again. We can follow our dreams to distant stars, living and working in space for peaceful economic and scientific gain. In 1984, in his State of the Union address, President Reagan directed NASA to develop a permanently manned space station and to do it within a decade. And he explicitly said that the U.S. was going to invite other nations to join in the project. So we can strengthen peace, build prosperity and expand freedom for all who share our goals. And that became the roots of what the International Space Station is today. Now we have five space agencies representing 15 different countries in the United States and Russia and Japan and also, you know, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy and the United Kingdom. So lots of different countries are actually working together on this space station. 
it's really no small feat that the world's superpowers got together to invest in doing scientific research in space. You know, this was a big platform collaboration, especially between Russia and the U.S. in the wake of a Cold War. It's a huge deal, and it's, it's probably one of the best examples of collaboration between countries on Earth ever. Running a lab in space sounds expensive. What does it actually cost to keep the ISS up and running? So the ISS is the size of a football field. It's humongous. It's sort of has these 16 interconnected modules when it's where astronauts live and work. And then it has eight solar arrays that actually power the station and make sure everything's running. And I think it costs between three to four billion dollars every year to operate. And it's estimated that it costs about a hundred billion dollars to construct. So NASA is hoping to not spend that kind of money again and have private companies do this instead. And it thinks it can save at least, you know, a billion dollars every year on operating costs. And how did NASA decide to retire something like the International Space Station since there are so many other countries involved? Was that a group decision? It was always in the plan that the ISS would eventually retire. One thing that's interesting is now we're past the point at which it was originally supposed to go out of operation. So what's happened is the international partners have had to agree to extend its life. Distinguished colleagues, on behalf of President Obama as well as myself, let me welcome particularly our international guests who have traveled here to engage in what I know is going to be a fascinating meeting. Which is this weird sort of diplomatic thing where the U.S. will say, yeah, like we're going to extend our support for the ISS to this date. The Obama administration is committing the United States to yet another extension of the space station, this time to at least the year 2024. We hope that its announcement now allowing time for full and careful consideration by our partners, will contribute to an eventual agreement by all to proceed in extending this unprecedented international effort further into the 21st century. And then, you know, another country will sign on, and that's a kind of weird space diplomacy situation we're in right now. Well, now that it's been decided, how does one actually go about retiring a space station? What actually happens to it? Does it just float around up there forever? Or do we figure out a way to bring it down? Basically, we just push it into the atmosphere and let it disintegrate. Oh, okay. Can you walk me through how that works? So NASA's plan right now, at least for the ISS, is, you know, first involves letting gravity pull the ISS downward towards the Earth. That could take over the course of three years and happen while the ISS is continuing to do the normal operations it does now. But, you know, when the ISS reaches this critical level, I think it's about 155 miles above the Earth, NASA is going to sort of do a final tidy up, organize one last flight to the ISS, remove anything we still want to keep, maybe any astronauts that are up there, and then we'll start the process of actually deorbiting it. So that's probably going to take place at the ISS mission control that's actually in Moscow, where they're going to target a specific location that's called Point Nemo. It's in the Pacific Ocean, and it's the world's farthest point from land. So that's the plan. That sounds like a complicated plan. How do we make sure we actually do it right? It's definitely a delicate process. You don't want a humongous space station just falling over any part of Earth. But this is something that NASA has done before. It's the same approach the agency took when it retired Skylab, which was the first U.S. space station in 1979. And it's also a common way of disposing of satellites. So earlier, Rebecca, you mentioned that when 
the ISS goes offline. NASA plans to move its astronauts to commercial space stations. So what's the plan there? Who's making these new space stations? The plan is for private space companies. NASA's hoping as many as four different corporate collaborations to launch up to four different space stations into low Earth orbit over the next decade. So as NASA's planning to deorbit the ISS, it's also giving some seed funding, you know, more than $400 million, at least for now, to three different concepts that it wants to sort of support and incubate and get ready to launch into orbit to replace the ISS. The most high-profile grant that has been given so far is $130 million to a space station idea called Orbital Reef, which is the space station designed by Blue Origin and Jeff Bezos. If you actually look this up, it's like these fun little renderings of what looks like this mixed-use business park. So there are like labs, a garden, 3D printers. Uh, it's humongous. It's only just a little bit smaller than the ISS. But Blue Origin and Jeff Bezos are saying it's going to be an order of magnitude less expensive to build. So that's why NASA is really interested in it. So that's one station. What about the others? There's another idea called Starlab, which is being built by this company called NanoRacks, which you may not have heard of but its majority owner Voyager Space is also involved, as well as Lockheed Martin. And then there's this other one that doesn't have a name yet, but it's from this company called Northrop Grumman, which is a aerospace company you know, that does a lot of work for NASA already. It runs cargo missions with the ISS. And both of these space station ideas that NASA is looking into will house up to four astronauts at a time and will include lab space as well, which is one of the main reasons NASA wants to be there. But there's also another space station we haven't talked about yet, NASA, while it's shutting down the ISS and planning for these other space stations in Earth's orbit, it's also hatching plans to launch a new space station. And this is going to be called Lunar Gateway. It's going to be for the moon. Oh, tell me more about that. So in the same way that we've been using the ISS as a platform for studying how humans do in space and what technology can accomplish in space, the idea for Lunar Gateway is to facilitate research that might help us, you know, explore the moon and eventually Mars even deeper into space. So the idea is that this is going to basically link up with the already existing effort to bring humans back to the moon. If you haven't heard about this, it's called the Artemis missions. And basically NASA is trying to create a long-term presence on the moon where we, you know, humans can actually live and do research. Think of it like a transit stop, or you can picture it as a scaled down version of the space station from the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. It's going to be like a place where astronauts who are going to the moon will come back to, and then they'll stay there before going back to Earth. It'll also be where people arrive before going down to the moon as well. But, you know, the reason why this is so interesting is in part because it could play a crucial role in preparing astronauts for future missions to Mars. It's a place where astronauts could practice simulation missions going to Mars. It's a place where you could test experimental technologies that are really far from Earth. And it even could play a role in assembling spacecraft that could be used to go to Mars as well. So the idea is that NASA will send its astronauts out to these privately owned space stations, both in low Earth orbit and eventually the moon, and they'll work and live there and do their research. Is that right? So you should think of it like an office park. NASA is going to rent facilities alongside essentially other tenants, including other governments, private industry, space hotels, and you know even media production companies. NASA is even betting that some companies will want to use these stations to, for instance, manufacture specialty products in microgravity, like even 
fiber optic cables or artificially grown organs. Uh, essentially, the idea is that by facilitating an economy in low Earth orbit, NASA thinks it can share the cost of operating a space station with the private sector. But it sounds like a lot of these space stations that we're talking about are going to be owned by the United States, whether it's by NASA or by U.S. companies. But obviously, the U.S. isn't the only country interested in operating in space. What do other countries have planned in terms of space stations and space exploration? Are we looking at a new kind of space race? So other countries are building new space stations, too. So astronauts are already living on a new space station that China is constructing. And Russia officials have signaled that they plan to replace the ISS with their own space station, too. And then at the same time, Russia and China have also announced that they're going to collaborate on another space station for the moon as well. So there is some competition for uh, NASA's plans for Lunar Gateway. You know, the new space race or the second space race is usually talked about in terms of private companies getting involved. But it's not clear so far how geopolitics will play a role. Going to space itself is not necessarily this display of strength that it was during the Cold War. There's still questions to be asked about what kind of financial benefits countries are going to reap because, you know, even though we're putting all this money there, we don't quite know what that economy is going to look like. But we certainly have this like weird dynamic now where we have both countries and companies that are clearly based in certain countries competing. At the same time, these companies have a financial incentive to offer their services to as many countries as possible because they want customers. You know, at the same time, there's this legal gray area in space that makes it kind of unclear often, like how international law applies to different companies or countries operating in space. So let's skip ahead to 10, 15 years from now, when we're hopefully close to reaching Mars. The ISS will be gone, but can you help us picture what the skies, what space near Earth, what it all might look like? At that point, there will be several fully operational space stations in Earth's orbit, and they'll be run both by national governments and private companies. By then, NASA will also have already established its base on the moon if everything goes according to plan, including a human habitat, a moon landing system, and even a nuclear power plant, and of course, Gateway as well. But I think what's really interesting here is that all of these developments that we're expecting in space over the next few decades have basically been powered by the ISS, which did all the research that made this possible in the first place. And I guess we could probably expect to see a lot more selfies from astronauts, but from different vantage points. Yes. Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening.